All right, back on the Fan Morning Show. The show didn't go anywhere. Today, Alyssa and I are back. Woo! Uh, let's not waste any time to get to our next guest. Show Ali, Blue Jays broadcaster for Sportsnet 590, the fan and our insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Show, how are we doing this morning? Good, guys. I got to see uh, the Blue Jays avoid a sweep. Mm-hmm. And uh, Barbie last night, so a double win. Oh, you saw Barbie? I'm seeing Barbie tonight. How was it? Was very it? good. You'll, you'll very much enjoy it. Did you see Oppenheimer yet? I, I did not get a chance to do the Barbenheimer double feature, unfortunately, but Oppenheimer's on the, hopefully on the near future. Okay, because I saw, I saw it on Saturday night, and I'm seeing Barbie tonight. I couldn't do the, the head-to-head. It was impossible, A, to find tickets, but B, to schedule that. I don't have like eight hours of my life free. So I, I like that did, you did, did the split. Did any theaters do like... Because you have to walk out and go to the next one. Is that? Did anyone be like, "Hey, let's just show the double feature back to back"? They got to clean it. Ten stuff. minute intermission. Why do you have to clean it? Just to go back to because back. Because people are pigs. <laughs> I, I understand myself. That. I can't. Popcorn does not. It goes all over okay, the place. Okay, but if you're it. already in the germ, you're there. Yeah. You don't even have to leave. I don't know. Just put the next movie on. Anyway. Show's not our movie insider. What does it say about you two that show went to Barbie, you went to Oppenheimer? Show's <laughs> a more joyful person. Okay. That is that is true. Uh, maybe he'll be joyful about the state of the Blue Jays and a pretty tough series in Seattle. Uh, do you have like a main takeaway from uh, another disappointing-ish trip? Of course, they salvage it with a win on Sunday. Uh, but uh, two losses to start, some problems in the bullpen, some pitching issues, some issues overall. What's... Your general take after a uh, after dropping two of three in Seattle, I guess mainly that the bullpen. I think perhaps the uh, redlining of the bullpen over so many starts where the starter doesn't go as long as you hope, or perhaps the starter doesn't go as long as he could have gone at the very least. Uh, the redlining of the bullpen starting to so- shows a little bit of cracks. You hope it's a bit of a blip, though, right? Because the bullpen has been so good for so much of the season that when you see it give up a couple of runs here and there, even for guys like Jimmy Garcia, who has largely not been in the middle of the circle of trust this year, guys, Guys, but he has played pretty well, and even he gave up a number of runs over the past couple of games. So I, I do kind of wonder if the 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 new kind of new sort of new addition of Chad Green. He's not really a trade deadline acquisition, but as he works his way back from injury, perhaps his return will help bolster a bullpen that could use some reinforcements. Because you know we're getting closer to the trade deadline, and it kind of feels like. Every single series the Blue Jays play will in some way, shape, or form inform what Ross Atkins does at the bullpen, right? Or pardon me, at the deadline, whether it's for the bullpen, whether it's for a starting pitcher, because you can evaluate the you know, velo being down for Kevin Gosman after some side discomfort. You can evaluate the walks for Alec Manoa after five and five and a third innings pitched yesterday. Like there are a lot of things you can evaluate. You can look at the position players. Is the offense enough? So I feel like every single series from now until August first is going to be some kind of audition for every part of this team. And the bullpen, I think, has shown that it's not perfect. It does need some help, but uh, perhaps the incoming reinforcements from Chad Green and heck, maybe even Hyunjin Ryu if he pitches on Wednesday uh, could help this team in the not too distant future yeah that might be part of the issue though because it seems like you know after every series maybe there's a new take uh maybe right. at the end of the diamondback series like oh well all you really need is a is a bat here and uh we are cooking because look at the performance of this bullpen look at how many starters there are available or will be available uh to this team once we get to meaningful baseball in september and beyond but now it seems like yeah maybe this bullpen is worth circling 
I think it can change. I think it's changeable what the issues and what the potential solutions are or the or the pluses with this team uh, can change and vary from series to series. And maybe that's a mark of a team that's not quite complete. Uh, but let's hover around the bullpen just a little bit because I think the biggest news, at least in terms of like paper items, would be Nate Pearson heading down uh, to the minor leagues. Of course, it comes on the heels of one really brutal performance but it feels like the punishment may not be worth the crime uh, i was making the argument earlier that like clearly they have a reason why they're doing this uh but i'll leave it to you uh, serve it into your court what do you think is the reason behind the demotion for nate pearson uh, first of all I, I was genuinely surprised because i think on the balance of nate pearson's time in the majors this year he has been there's been a lot more good than bad certainly there have been a couple of blow-up outings and the couple of times he has gotten blown up it has been really bad it's not as though it's been a couple of so-so outings like there was the outing against the orioles the rangers the very next day and now you could probably add in this outing against the mariners on saturday but uh, ultimately, a lot a lot of good from Nate Pearson so far this season to the point where I think a lot of people were including him in the trusted reliever category that you would put Jordan Romano in, Eric Swanson in, Trevor Richards and Tim Meza have been in that category this year. Jimmy Garcia was in that category last year, and maybe he's working his way back, so to speak, but... Nate Pearson getting demoted was a little surprising. I do think in the in the start on or the relief appearance on Saturday that he struggled in, he uh, was having an issue locating a lot of the breaking stuff. And we know all about the fastball. The fastball is is nasty. It's super. It kind of zips in there. It moves a lot around the plate, which is great to see. And sometimes he runs into issues with that when it can be a little, I guess, fat for lack of a better word. But the breaking balls he was really having an issue with on Saturday. Like if he, I think he missed like two or three straight times or three or four straight times with a curveball and the curveball has been a weapon for him so to see that I, it probably makes me think they're just sending him down he can work on some execution level things because even after the Saturday game in which they narrowly lost another heartbreaker I think John Schneider did acknowledge that the execution aspect of it was lacking and of course I think he was mostly talking about the breaking ball stuff so that's kind of stuff I'm sure he's going to work on in the minors I d it does feel somewhat temporary I do also think it it, it kind of speaks guys I think to a, the state of the bullpen in the sense that you kind of always knew especially with Chad Green who we talked about before on his way back and Pearson having options there were there was probably always going to be some roster manipulation coming for the bullpen when it comes to guys getting sent down to make room for guys coming back off the IL, but I admit I thought it would have been Jay Jackson, for example, getting sent down, not because the guy is bad or anything, but just because he's a little bit older. He also has an option remaining. Pearson has pitched a lot more. I think it actually does speak to how well Jay Jackson has pitched because there there is something there. The guy has pitched very, very well, admittedly in perhaps lower-ish leverage situations, but he got a couple of medium leverage situations over the past couple of appearances for him, and he's done very well. So I, I'm really happy for the guy because he, he clearly has been found money for the Blue Jays, for Ross Atkins, for the bullpen, and anything they can do to help you know, to not use a pun, but relief, the stress on the rest of the bullpen is, is a good thing. So good for Jay Jackson, not so much for Nate Pearson, but I, I don't think he is going to be down in the minors for perhaps longer than the requisite 10 days. So the Blue Jays acquire uh, lefty Henesis Cabrera from the Cardinals, uh, which also adds to a new face and a new arm. Uh, what do you expect from him, uh, assuming that we're going to see a little bit of him uh, maybe in the next couple of days here against the Dodgers? 
So a lefty, so I would imagine he he might take some of the slightly lower leverage or maybe earlier in the game spots against pockets of lefties that Tim Meza perhaps would have otherwise seen. So, of course, I think if the if the game is close, I don't think you're going to Yenis' Cabrera over Tim Meza, for example, because the, the ERA for Cabrera is not particularly uh, kind, let's say. He was about to be DFA'd and they traded him so just so they could free up a roster spot, the card. So I, I do... I am intrigued by what his stuff looks like because he has some very interesting uh, velocity on the uh, on the old baseball savant page. He also has some pretty interesting whiff rate stuff because, as, we, as we've talked about for the last couple of years, Alish, it feels like everyone's been asking for more swing and miss type stuff, and to get that from a lefty, I think would be very very valuable. So, I am cautiously optimistic from Cabrera, but I, I don't think we're going to see him in any high leverage situations, um, perhaps anytime soon. We're chatting with Shoah Lee, Blue Jays broadcaster, Sports on 590, the fan, of course. Um, so Alec Manoa makes his third straight appearance since being recalled from the Blue Jays. I think we've seen some ups and some downs, but uh, yesterday, a more of a promising step forward. Would you put that in that category of Alec Manoa starts? You know, it's funny. I, I definitely would because I think on the whole of his season, there have been so many not-so-great starts that I feel like almost by default, when he when he doesn't give up more than three earned runs, you kind of think, oh, yeah, you take that. That's a win, okay. right? But, yeah, we'll yeah, take it. <laughs> right? But it, it, it was five and a third. I know he walked four guys. And the three earned runs, it was a two-run hammered baseball by Mike Ford. And then the third run was an inherited runner that Tim Mays did a lot of scores. So... Ultimately, I you know I think it was 90 or 91 pitches he finished the day with. So he he pitched I think okay. I don't think it was necessarily a it was by no means a terrible start, but I don't think it was necessarily a phenomenal start either. But definitely as the game went on, especially after that absolute moonshot by Ford, the he he definitely settled in. He got some very quick outs. The slider, which we always talk about as his best pitch and his put away pitch, definitely had some bite to it. The velo was a little livelier on all of his pitches compared to perhaps the start against the Padres in which he threw, well, like 100 pitches over the first three innings. So I, I definitely think there are some signs of improvement for him, and he just seemed much more comfortable out there on the mound. He, he also got squeezed in a couple of very, very borderline pitches, although the mm-hmm. strike zone wasn't too terrible. It was it was just very tight, I would say, for both guys yesterday, including rookie Brian Wu. So I definitely think it's something to build on for Alec Manoa because it's not as though the stuff for Manoa like evaporates overnight. It's not as though he, he turns into a pumpkin and you can almost see the reverse for Jose Barrios who's going later tonight against Michael Grove. But Alec Manoa, you know what, I, I'm, I was very excited to see it because to go back to the trade deadline conversation, if he can be even what, like 50% or 60% of what you wanted from Alec Manoa? Maybe it does mean that the starting rotation isn't something that's going to be uh, too heavily augmented come come a couple of days from now. I don't know if it's the thing that looms over everything, uh, but the specter of Hunjin Ryu is, is, is a definite storyline here over the next week. Uh, I think it affects the Manoa discussion. It affects the Kikuchi discussion. If Kevin Gosman, although he looked fine in striking out nine, but did give up some really hard contact for home runs, I mean, we just don't necessarily see that. I think the Gosman thing hasn't been completely put to bed because, you know, if there's a health issue with your best pitcher, uh, it's a problem. But Hunjin Ryu is sort of just building towards availability here it has been for some time and at some point we need to see it because we need to make decisions we need to see exactly what is available uh, to the Blue Jays before they finalize rosters Uh, what do you make of 
where he stands right now and what the Blue Jays need to do and see from him over the next week here so that they can uh, properly make decisions over and using all the data that they should be collecting before the trade deadline. Well, it's kind of interesting, right, Justin, because let's say Ryu pitches on his quote-unquote normal days of rest because he last pitched a couple of days ago. It would basically line him up to pitch on the series finale in Los Angeles, which is the day game against the Dodgers on Wednesday. That would mean that's that's July 26th, and the deadline is August 1st. So with the day off on the 27th, which I do think also just generally speaking makes sense for Ryu because if you're going to have a guy who has only been built up to about 85 pitches, a little bit older, a lot of mileage on that left, Left arm, even from before he was in Major League Baseball, um, and uh, he's only been been throwing around 85 pitches. Then, you know, having the the off day after him means you can have the bullpen go if that's what they want to do. But it also means that if you have him pitch on Wednesday, you're probably because of the off day not going to see him again before the trade deadline, right? Like unless you move him up by a day or and you or you bump someone else. It would it would seem that Ryu's next start, if they if they want to just have him in the rotation, quote unquote, normally, wouldn't be until August second or third. So we'll be after the trade deadline at that point. So it, it seems kind of crazy to have so much because you're right that a lot of the ripple effects from what will happen if Ryu is a part of this rotation. It seems kind of wild to to make a lot of decisions based on one start. Having said that, it it does make sense for me at least at least for the the bulk of the remainder of the regular season. To have Ryu in there, I, I definitely favor maybe a six-man rotation instead of kind of like you skip a start for Manoa if he's mm-hmm. bad or what, if only because after the 27th, there's not another day off until I think it's August 14th. So they have something like 17 straight days with baseball, and that definitely you've seen a lot of these guys, like Gosman, he talked about the velo being down, he gives up the four home runs, which is a career high for him in a single game, and... Uh, he is on pace for a, a, a career high in innings pitched. Barrios is on pace for a career high in innings pitched. A lot of the relievers are as well. So just to get some help to space things out for Ryu, I think will be important. But again, he hasn't been built up that long. I'm not. He, you know, I think we heard that the changeup looked pretty good, but the fastball was still topping out at about 90 miles an hour. So even though Ryu has never been that much of a blow away pitcher, he's more of a deception guy, as we all know. But you know, I think there there are still some question marks here. Probably not wise to rely on Ryu as like the savior of the season, but if he can help provide some breathers for the starting rotation between now and the end of the regular season, I'm I'm sure it can only be a good thing. So we got to figure out Ryu. Uh, the clock is ticking. Trade deadline a week and a day away. You still don't really know what you have in Alec Manoa. Like you've got the ups and the downs, and maybe you are picturing him as a good fifth starter. Uh, but with those questions, like, do you feel like it's more likely or not, or maybe like the safe play to be adding a starting pitcher into the rotation? I know it seems like we're well, gonna have seven of them, but with two that are really seeming like questions, like, would you not think that it could be a little bit more probable that the Blue Jays look to add someone, maybe someone with some experience, not an ace, but you know, you do have some questions. Is that something you think that they would do by next week, just as a safety valve, even? Yeah, like I, don't, I don't think we're going to see like a Lucas Giolito or like a Marcus Stroman. <laughs> oh, as, 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 yeah, as fun as those, those would be, I think it would make for a lot of uh, fun discussions on the morning show, certainly. But uh, it, it certainly feels as though if they were to make a play for a starting pitcher, it would be for like a depth kind of move like mm-hmm. you're talking about, Ailish. Like a, like a Drew Smiley out of Chicago, right? A guy who can be your uh, a nice, reliable back of the rotation piece to eat up some innings. Maybe a Michael Lorenzen, for example, right? Like, guys that probably won't cost 
a whole ton, guys who are a teensy bit older, guys who are probably going to give you just about a quality start every time out. Having said that, I do think if, if now that we got the five and a third from Manoa and only three earned runs, if he looks good again in his next start, which will probably be against the Angels next weekend at the Rogers Center, which is right before the trade deadline, <laughs> then perhaps that's something they won't really have to, to look into. And they, maybe they go towards a position player, maybe they go towards the bullpen. But um, I, I again, I, I do think you're right. If they do go make a play for a starting pitcher, it probably will be for a very a very dependable back end of the rotation guy who who is a very uh, unsexy but steady pick, perhaps. Sometimes that's the way to go. Unsexy but steady. Um, <laughs> I did see that. Ryan Harmon. Oh, there you go, Brian Hart. There you go. Uh, we did see that um, it looks like Shohei Otani will pitch on Friday night at the Rogers Center. So that will be super, super intriguing. I'm sure tickets are already flying off the shelves. Um, so that's just something for Blue Jays fans if you're in the Toronto area. Try try to get a ticket and head down there. Uh, we're talking to Shohei Ali, Blue Jays broadcaster, Sports at 590, the fan. Uh, we went this long talking about the starting pitching without talking about Yusei Kikuchi, who play, or pitched beautifully um, Friday night. Uh, a guy that Justin and I were talking about at the top of the show looks like he wants to pitch to stay in this rotation obviously you know last year he was relegated to the bullpen and we've seen him really fighting to stay out there every time he's pulled it seems like he wants to get out there and pitch another inning and and to continue to push himself Um, I feel like the confidence level in Kikuchi has been pretty high of late are you subscribing to that Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I would definitely make the argument also that on the Friday game, he was pulled too early. And I think we were, we started this conversation mm-hmm. by talking about the bullpen being a little redlined recently. Well, that maybe could have been uh, mitigated, perhaps, had Kikuchi been allowed to pitch more than five and a third. And I mean, you know, generally speaking, I do understand why they let don't let Kikuchi see the order maybe more than two times. But having said that, he was pitching pretty efficiently on Friday against his former ball club. He kind of looked, I, I don't know if I would say like upset, but he kind of looked confused or baffled as to why he was being taken out of the game because he was ve- being very pitch efficient. I don't think he had even reached 80 pitches on the game. He Maybe he could have saved at least one arm had he gone back out there for perhaps even just the remainder of the sixth inning and then you yank him after that. I, I do, I will say on the balance of the entire season, Kikuchi confidence level, like you're saying, Ailish, has been through the roof. Like, this is a guy who is super demonstrative every time he comes off the mound, or every time he gets a big K, he's, like, fist pumping and going down to a knee. His, like, his toes are reaching the brim of his ball cap on uh, on certain strikeouts. Like, he looks like a completely different player than he did last year. I don't know if it's only the pitch clock for, or, or what, but he just looks like he's he's not really in his own head. He's not afraid. He does like the slider still a lot, but he's not afraid to use that absolutely wicked fastball because the truth is, if you look at left-handed starting pitchers, across all of Major League Baseball. Of course, if you include relievers in this, it'd be a little different. But if you only did starting pitchers who are lefties, there are maybe, like, legitimately in both leagues, there are maybe, what, two or three guys who can throw as hard consistently as you say Kikuchi can. So when he is on, and he was on on Friday, he is one of the tougher pitchers to to defeat. It's really the command issues that we've seen in the past that have kind of, uh, you know, spoiled uh, quick hooks for him, but not the case recently. It's been very good, so it's kind of, it's really cool to see because I'm, I'm certain even if he's not part of like a wild card starting rotation, he'll certainly be a factor down the stretch in the regular season. 
Okay, so you mentioned, hey, uh, maybe back of the uh, rotation starter could be in the cards before the deadline. That would be like a safe move that could pay some dividends, but, you know, not going to cost you an Aralvis Martinez, at least you'd hope. Right. Uh, let's say they have an abundance of options for their fifth starter. Let's say everyone's healthy and Kikuchi can, can throw, Ryu's there, Manoa's there, maybe there's an addition. Which which of those potential starters, and I get one doesn't have a face right now, but uh, if we're going to circle on Manoa, Ryu, Manoa, Ryu, and Kikuchi. Which one do you think brings the most valuable value to a bullpen if one of them needs to take on a quote-unquote demotion and actually give you something out of a relief role? So, so like if you're if we're, we're saying if we're moving we one of Manoa, Ryu, Kikuchi to the bullpen yeah. in theory, who do, you th- who do you think could actually give you something of value back uh, back there? I, you know what's funny? I, I know I literally just talked about how great Yusei Kikuchi is as a starter. I actually think he probably is the yeah. best candidate to be moved to the bullpen for all the reasons we talked about him being good as a starter, right? Because he is he throws so hard. He is he's often very very good for even just a couple of innings at a time. He could be like perhaps a bit of a long man because with Manoa, you know, he has nibbled a little bit at times, and you know the slider has looked a teensy bit better. But you, I, I think he. It sometimes takes a little bit to work through whatever in-game adjustments he is working through. And to his credit, he he is doing it. It just sometimes takes him more than a couple of batters. And I just I'm not really sure what you're going to get with Hyunjin Ryu. But even on his best days, even when he was at the height of his powers, winning the ERA title with the Dodgers, he wasn't exactly someone who was blowing guys away. You say Kikuchi, like we all have been asking for more heat out of the bullpen. And honestly, especially with Nate Pearson down, let's say they don't feel Nate Pearson is ready to come back anytime soon. If they did replace Kikuchi with, let's say, another you know, more dependable starter who can go a little bit longer in games, then I actually wouldn't mind seeing another lefty maybe even take some of the pressure. We talked about Yenis' Cabrera earlier, but I wouldn't mind seeing another lefty come out of the bullpen after Tameza to take on some of those lefty-heavy pockets because the Blue Jays really only have Meza as a consistent option in that role. Yeah, it does make some sense. I don't know how thrilled you say Kikuchi would be, but exactly. if, there is a, if there is abundance of starting pitchers, uh, if we're talking about swing and miss, if we're talking about stuff, if we're talking about getting some strikeouts out of the bullpen, lefty, uh, you say Kikuchi might be the candidate right now. Uh, Boba Shett's going through it a little bit uh, without a hit in his last four games, uh, an 0 for 17 at the very least, uh, dating back to the second game of the Padres series. That's his last hit. Uh, what's going on with him right now, in your opinion? Yeah, he's swinging at a lot of uh, stuff that you wouldn't usually see Bo swing at. It does kind of feel like the Bo of, let's see, I guess April to July of 2022 is uh, making a, a very brief cameo in this Blue Jays season. I'm not super worried about Bo just because he has turned it around before, and I'm sure he'll turn it around again. Guys go through many slumps here, but it, it was a little disheartening, especially with him behind Springer. It was a little bit disheartening to see so many promises promising rallies killed basically yesterday with either strikeouts from Bo or groundings into a weak grounders either just for an out or for two outs depending on if he was sitting into a double play from Springer again I'm not I'm not super super worried but it it does kind of make you wonder if if the struggles continue if it is worth discussing maybe a, a quick rejig of the starting batting order here, right? And, and nothing too drastic, but maybe you have, if Vladdy is hitting better, maybe you have Vladdy hit two, Bo hit three. I've heard the option of having Bo hit cleanup before, which I don't entirely hate, to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. Maybe the idea of moving Springer out of the top of the top of the order 
and having him bat third and have with Merrifield perhaps bat leadoff. I've heard that discussed as well. And honestly, none of those are terrible ideas. I perhaps think that it is tough to sometimes get players to buy into moving into different spots. But, I mean, none of these guys seem like they'd be that uh, against uh, changing the batting order around if it means the team will encounter more success. But, again, I, as far as it pertains to uh, Bo Bichette, yeah, I'm not, I'm not super worried perhaps until if, unless this continues – back into the the series at Rogers Center against Shohei and the Angels next weekend. So uh, we had some interesting comments from Teoscar Hernandez on Blair and Barker saying like, oh, I'd be open to coming back, but it's not, you know, it's not in my hands. Um, you can go check that on the podcast feed. But Teo, another weekend of seeing a former Blue Jay kind of pull at your heartstrings. I don't know if it's at, in the cards or not, but just seeing Teo in his uh, in his time um, probably brought that back some, you know, nice memories for you at least after watching those games. But uh, wouldn't he be a nice fit on this Blue Jays team? <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Alish. Talking about a, a guy who hits lefties very, very well, a guy who has just effortless power. Like over the last couple of years, I, I think there's only been a handful of players in batting practice before games down at the Rogers Center who I have seen hit the video board in batting practice with like just an effortless swing of the bat, and he is one of like maybe two or three guys. I, I absolutely would love to see him return to the Blue Jays because it does kind of feel like it would solve a lot of issues, right? Like I think one of the things I, I'm hoping the Blue Jays go out and get the deadline is another bat, if only because you can use someone in the outfield, and again, Teo fits this this uh, this hole perfectly. He, he can go into the outfield to spell any one of Varsho, Kiermaier, or Springer as the fourth outfielder when you need it. He could DH if you don't want to always have Brandon Belt in there as the DH, or you don't want to have necessarily Alejandro Kirk if he is still struggling in there as the DH, or if Kirk is catching and Danny Jansen has to miss any time after getting thumped on the forearm yesterday. So it would solve that DH kind of issue as well, and it would also mean that you could probably have Whit Merrifield stay at second a little bit more frequently because he is your best second baseman on the roster right now, which is, which is no disrespect to Biggio or Espinal, but he just is an everyday player, even if he's not the everyday second baseman. So you could have Merrifield stay at second, and you could have Teo spell any of the outfielders and not have to move Merrifield in the outfield. So I, it, it would solve a lot of problems, and everyone likes him a whole lot. So that's another fun uh, little bonus. Uh, last one for you here, show. I know we kept you long, so we appreciate it. Uh, it's not often that the Blue Jays uh, go to Dodger Stadium. Uh, pretty exciting. I guess there'll be some late nights here for you. Uh, but... How exciting is it to see the Blue Jays go to Dodger Stadium? It's, again, as it's kind of a rarity, and uh, I'm frankly looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely don't remember the last time we got a, a bunch of games at Chavez Ravine, so it's kind of cool. It's one of the kind of cathedrals, so to speak, of baseball alongside Yankee Stadium and, and Fenway and Wrigley and so on. So it is kind of cool just from a baseball perspective. I am int very intrigued to see this pitching matchup tonight. Michael Grove has pitched very, very well for the Dodgers. Jose Barrios has pitched extremely well for the Blue Jays. And then even if you look a couple of days down the line, I mean, the, the Dodgers, I think the probable pitchers on... I guess it's Tuesday and Wednesday, are Julio Urias and Tony Gonsolin, both of whom are very, very good pitchers for the for the Dodgers over the course of their whole careers, but who have also struggled mightily this year. So I, it does kind of make you wonder what you'll get from both of these guys because they have had some very not-so-heralded not seasons considering that they are two of the better pitchers. I honestly think in Major League Baseball, but they have struggled. So if the Blue Jays can take advantage of some struggling uh, Dodgers pitching and maybe if they can return home, let's say, 3-3 three and three on this road trip from a pretty historic venue, I think I'd take that from a mini West Coast swing. 
Yeah, lots of intrigue in terms of uh, the opponent, but also what's going to happen in the next week and a day before the trade deadline show. We appreciate you jumping on. Great to chat and enjoy uh, some late-night baseball this week. Thank you, and uh, enjoy Barbie, Eilish. Oh, I will. We'll chat Barbie uh, here to come. Uh, thanks so much. The show Elite Blue Jays broadcaster is Sportsnet 590 The Fan, and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit Don Valley North Lexus. Dot com. Yeah, we got some 10 p.m. start times tonight. Oh, welcome back to the morning show. You get to you get to come out to beautiful Milton. Uh, we are here live for the Jays Care uh, Golf Classic, the 28th annual Rattlesnake Point Golf Club. Uh, Four-hour show for us today after being on the afternoons for a bit, and then we got a 10 p.m. start time tonight. So they're like, you know what? Vacation's over. Get to the grind. That's what yeah, they say. Yeah, they are 10 p.m. starts, but Blue Jays in 30 is a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful resource. A wonderful resource. All right. So we've got uh, another hour and a half here. We have some of the Blue Jays alumni rolling through. Uh, the sun has now come out. No more rain at the golf course. So we're looking forward to, to turning the tides. Uh, we have Ernie Witt on after the show. Uh, sorry, after the break. Former MLB catcher and manager of the Canadian National Baseball Team and a Canadian Baseball Hall of Famer. Spent 12 seasons with the Jays. He's a legend. Uh, he's going to join us next live on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Ailish. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The JD Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, the Fan Morning Show is back on the air and on location from the 28th annual Jays Care Golf Classic at Rattlesnake Point Golf Club in Milton, Ontario. And the sun's first... up finally, eh? What's that? The sun is out. The sun no is out. No more rain. Just, just had to get it out of the way, soften up the greens yeah. for, you know, the, peop- the many who are playing in the yeah. tournament, but also our next guest, uh, former Blue Jay and current manager of Canada's national baseball team. It's Ernie Witt. Good morning, Ernie. Good morning, How are we guys? doing? I'm doing great. The sun's up. There you go. It's not raining. <laughs> I mean, that's a beautiful day. Yeah, I think it's going to hang on. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've played in this event uh, a few times. Uh, just, you know, how much you're looking forward to being back here this morning. What maybe the foursome looks like. What's 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 your read <laughs> this morning as you prepare for uh, another Jays Care Golf Classic? Well, number one, it's great to be here and be <laughs> invited back. It's always a good day. Uh, whether it rains or not, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're around people that that care, that uh, want to help out with the Jays Foundation. And, you know, and that, that's to me, that's that's all part of it is is giving back to the communities. And that's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. OK, so what's the what's the golf for? So how's your golf game? We we're chatting off the air, but now people need to hear. Well, remember, I'm a senior citizen <laughs> now. No, <so>. no. <laughs> I'm 71. I hope they give me it's the LTs a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So uh, I. You know, I I get it around. Okay, I, that, that, I moved the ball. Don't be ball so modest. So. You were an all star. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that a was different in baseball. Sport. <laughs> Golf is totally different. Very uh, humbling. Yeah, well, I feel you. <laughs> uh, so I don't because I don't put it in play uh, very often. Um, so uh, interesting day yesterday with Cooperstown and and a couple guys you know mm-hmm. going to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Of course, you played with the Crime Dog. You coached Scott Rowland. Uh, did you watch the ceremonies? What what sort of memories came to mind when you know uh, 
you know, Crime Dog gets the, the induction. Of course, you probably know him better than Scott Rowland, but a, a good relationship there. What are your thoughts on those two getting in the hall? And uh, if you did watch it uh, yeah, yesterday's I, proceedings, it was it was great to see both of them get in. I think it was well overdue for Freddie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was just a tremendous teammate, uh, guy that's just you know, was steady all the way through. I mean, both defensively, offensively. And um, you know, I thought he did a great job on his induction <laughs> mm-hmm. speech also. I mean, you know, we were all concerned about that, but I'm sure he Why practiced concerned? it the Why entire. Why were you concerned? Because <laughs> we know Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> we had him on the show once, and he was, good. he was soft-spoken but not long-winded. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that's Freddie right there. But he's, what a, he was a tremendous teammate. He was fun to play with, so... Uh, and Scotty was just a tremendous defender at third base. And again, we had him for a few years with the Jays as I was coaching. And, you know, he was, you know, I think sometimes the media misread him a little bit, mm. but he was really a pretty good guy. Mm. So what made uh, Fred a Hall of Famer? What, you, you mentioned the steadiness, but like there has to be outstanding, right? It's, 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 it's not it's like the they open fame. entry to everyone. It's, it's no. the Hall of Fame. So in your mind, what put him over the top? I think Probably what put him over the top where he got uh, close to 500 home runs. What was it, 499 or something like that? Have to check. Hard to leave on 499, though. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I know. But uh, just his consistency, I think, you know, and and just what he brought to the table with every team that he played on. Uh, His stats were there. Again, I don't know what his stats were, but to me, he was was a Hall of Famer. And I think it was – you see guys get in and you – How'd they leave Freddie off the list? How mm. could he not get on? So finally he made it, and I know all the guys that are sitting inside this room having breakfast, that's all we were talking about on the bus trip out here, yeah. and at breakfast we are talking about Freddie. Oh, that's really sweet. 493 career home runs. Oh, okay. Well, that, I would be tough to leave at 499. Yeah. At least he left a little bit of a cushion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, so you are and have been the manager of the Canadian National Bas- uh, Baseball team uh, for a bit. So the Cana- uh, the World Baseball Classic, we talked about this when it was on. What's the experience like in, in attending something of that sort? It's... Uh, it's great to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating at times. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've always said that if we could get all of our players, all of our Canadian players to mm-hmm. play and commit to the WBC, we would be, you know, we would be very competitive. Are we going to beat Japan or USA? We don't have the depth. But again, in a single game, when you have all those players, you have options that you can go to. And I, I thought our team performed pretty good in March. Uh, you know, we, we won two games and uh, lost two, I think, probably something like that. Yeah. Three and two. I don't know. But we knew we had to beat Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just fell a little bit short on that. What do you think the main reason is for the frustration of not getting some of the Canadian players to commit? Well, I think a lot of it, the, the, some of the explanations I've been given is that well they've just changed teams they want to mm. stay and see their new teams or uh, they're they're on their last year of their contract and or, or and they want to you know try to work really hard to get that extension and other ones are guys that are just coming up to the big leagues you know they're at that triple a big league level teetering back and forth and they get nudges from the coaches and the organizations mm. basically saying well, you know, if you're not here in camp, how can we see whether you can make the team or not? Yeah. You know, so they have a little pressure from the organization. Even though the organizations are supposed to be supportive 100%, 
you know, yeah. when you when you got a young player, when you have a young player, he wants to, you know, make a living mm-hmm. and be with that organization, but he also wants to represent the country. So it's a tough situation for him. The reluctance is twofold, right? There might be some on the part of the player, maybe playing for a contract, whatever, doesn't want to get injured, but also, as you mentioned, you know, the messaging from the organization. The organization makes, uh, obviously, a lot of the calls. But I wonder, because it was such a success, and guys like Randy Rosarena, who you ran into in Mexico, uh, were such rock stars at the event, and you have that moment with Shohei striking a Mike Trout, it just seemed like the profile of the tournament was enhanced just a little mm-hmm. bit at this last one. Do you think the success of what we saw just a few months ago will help you in your continued pursuits to make sure the best Canadian talent's there. I, I certainly hope so. I, I think you're right. I think the uh, spotlight was on us a little bit brighter this time. Uh, and again, there was those key moments that were shown during the course of the tournament that you know people were watching. And I, I, I think there's some excitement about as far as the game how it's changed a little bit mm-hmm. too. You know, with the maybe introducing base stealing a little bit more eliminating the shift so you can see some more offense and so I, I like some of the changes being made in baseball and I think it's going to help as from a fan standpoint do you dream of putting together a lineup one day that goes nailer 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 <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them, you know? <laughs> I mean it it's 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 nice to see you know you you don't see it very often mm-hmm. you get three kids coming out of the same family and all of them are pretty good ball players. What's Freddie Freeman done for your program? <sighs> well, he's a tremendous teammate and, you know, someone that's very committed to the baseball Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he did it for his mom, who was Canadian, and uh, he's, he's playing with a purpose. And uh, great in the clubhouse, great around younger players. Uh, I mean, I... It's a pleasure to you know watch him play and watch he go watch him go about his business. He's very professional, and uh, like I said, he's great with the younger players. Also, we're speaking with Ernie Witt, uh, spent twelve seasons with the Blue Jays and manager of the Canadian National Baseball Team now. So, uh, yeah, younger players, maybe some players making a debut or, or learning their way through the big ranks here. Uh, is there a player that really surprised you, or a young player that maybe we should have on our radar looking forward? Well, I think there's a lot of them. I mean, you talked about one of the Nailers, Mm -hmm. you know. I I think Bo Nailer is is going to be a pretty good star catcher in the the big leagues. Uh, Again, he was was on that triple-A major league Mm -hmm. thing. And, of course, he came and played for us and had a nice tournament. But then he was sent back to the minors. Now he's back up in the big leagues. Uh, Julian uh, with the Twins. What a tremendous tournament he had, and he's continued on with the Twins performing very well. Younger players, and we have a Kate Smith, right-handed pitcher, who was I, I was very impressed with him and his, his makeup and you know how he he handles the baseball. Um, so I mean, it, there's there's a number of them. You know, we're still looking for a good middle infielder, though. <laughs> if anyone's yeah. out there, I mean, if everyone's they're, listening. They're, they can get they're, going. They're hard to find. <laughs> you know, get that good shortstop that uh, that can catch the ball and be consistent. I mean, because it's a key part of the game. We spoke to uh, Tyler O'Neill before the tournament. That guy is like a monster in the gym. Does he look like that in real life, too? Yeah. He's just like yeah, always working out. He's one of those guys he's, annoying to be around. He's yeah. just like he's <laughs> always <ripped>. lifting weights. <laughs> no, he, always he, has he, his shirt off. Yeah, probably. 
That's that's Tyler. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> that's him. funny. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Philippe Omont because he kind of came. Uh, uh, the story's amazing. I'll let you tell it, but uh, probably wasn't considered an option or didn't consider himself much of an option, but comes out and and performed pretty well for you at the World Baseball Classic. But uh, I know he arrived under, I guess, uh, extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, Philippe, we got him off the couch or uh, <laughs> off the tractor, however you want to put off it. Off a broken know? tailbone. Yeah, yeah, like broken <laughs> tailbone. He has a lot of things. He's been such a, a tremendous asset to Baseball Canada teams. And, you know, it, it's just like you give him the ball and he'll go out there and he'll he'll perform. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, in his younger career, he had the, the makeup. You know, he had all the stuff, the ability to be successful. Uh, but then for some reason he didn't, you know, mm-hmm. make it as big as I thought that he would. But when it comes to the playing for the Team Canada, it's a wholly different ball game mm-hmm. for him. I mean, he's just, he's been tremendous and a leader, a tremendous leader too on, on the field with the team. And like we just got back from Argentina not too long ago trying to qualify for the Olympics. And again, we pulled him off the farm and he gave it everything <laughs> he had. And, you know, it, it's... He's, he's got to get just, those crops going, you know? Yeah, I mean, he, he's been a great asset to, mm. to, to Baseball Canada. So years, years with Baseball Canada, uh, you've done some pretty cool things. What's the most rewarding experience you've had uh, managing the team? Oh God! There's there's been so many. So we got I mean, two hours you know. left of the show, so you're not going anywhere. <laughs> oh, I have to tee off. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. We moved your tee time. <laughs> okay. No, it starts. I mean, we've had some great players. You know, uh, Justin Morneau, Joey Votto, uh, Corey Koski. Uh, I mean, just going back. I started in 1999 when we had the Pan Am Games in Winnipeg, and we ended up winning a bronze medal. And that was encouraging, but I think when we qualified for the Olympics in '04 and went to Greece, and uh, you know we were real close to competing for them, ended up in fourth place, mm-hmm. but we were close to, to to beating. You know, I think it was Japan we didn't match up well against, but with Cuba we had them went down to the ninth inning, and you know they 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 beat us in the ninth mm-hmm. inning. So. Uh, you know that the traveling the countries, you know the. Italy was always great. Going to Premier 12, Japan and mm-hmm. Korea and Taiwan. I mean, it's just something that that I had never experienced before. Mm-hmm. And for me to, for them to ask me to manage, to travel and to put the teams together. Uh, Greg Hamilton, who's a director of, of Baseball Canada, and uh, he's basically the general manager that brings all the players together. And I just take the players mm-hmm. and I, I, tr- I try to look at them and try to put them in the best positions where they can be successful. And the players, I mean, there's a delight. I mean, they're great. They're great to just let them go out and play, you know, (laughs) and just stay out of the way. Absolutely. (laughs) And, and, you know, just ask them, you know, give it everything you got. Mm -hmm. Remember, you're representing your country. You're representing your your families. We're going to go out there and we're going to play smart. We're going to play aggressively. And uh, at one time early in, in my managerial career with with Canada, it was like we were not even looked at. Like mm. they kind of, you know, well, it's Canada. They, you know, they they don't know anything about baseball. All of a sudden, we start beating these guys. Mm-hmm. Now we're on the radar, and they're like, uh, we got to bring our A game to this team. You know, so 
Well, you've got a, a, an incredible connection with the Toronto Blue Jays as well. Canada's team uh, played for them for 12 seasons from 77 to 89. Uh, fourth most games played for the Toronto Blue Jays with over 1,200. I know it's going to be hard to summarize that, but your time as a Toronto Blue Jay, as you're here, you're reflecting as an alumni. Uh, how special that, that time was in your career? Uh, it was, I mean, I was doing something I enjoyed doing mm -hmm. i mean you know how many people can say that i wake up in the morning and i've got to go to work and they dread it <laughs> i wake up in the morning man i'm mm -hmm. i was happy as it can be i'm going it's not work they say play ball they don't say work ball mm -hmm. is there a lot of work involved absolutely you know you, you you just can't take a day off you have to be uh into every game every pitch you can't take a you can't take a second off at mm -hmm. this level at, at the major league level and that's something even during my coaching career is like you know you guys have the talent but again do you have the mental awareness of what it takes to be on the field on a daily basis become a, a major league player a consistent major league player and sometimes guys do it sometimes they don't is that where you've seen maybe the most like development you played back in, in the 70s and 80s for the Blue Jays but now you're you're coaching a kind of a new generation of players where they have probably better access to the mental coaches strength coaches the game has evolved so much um, as a catcher and, and as a position player where have you seen like the biggest steps forward that it makes it maybe easier for your job to coach young athletes that are maybe in a better spot than you are well I think that the, the with the younger athletes the hardest part and which I think comes with the mental part of the mm -hmm. game which I think has helped the game is for them to understand that you're not always going to have a good game you're gonna have good games you're gonna have bad games and I've always said to the younger players as they were coming up through the minor leagues is that look you have to be able to put that behind you you learn from your mistakes and so it doesn't happen again mm -hmm. and so to me, it's just being more mentally prepared on the field. If you do that, you do all the physical stuff all the time. I mean, you're, you're taking hundreds of ground balls, fly balls every day. You're hitting in the cage every day. But now are you mentally tough enough, mentally ready to play the game at the highest mm -hmm. level? And that's been one of the themes for the Blue Jays the last couple seasons, right? I mean, Jose Barrios, uh, you know, deals with adversity, maybe not for the first time, but certainly with the Blue Jays. Uh, last year, uh, comes back a different pitcher. Alec Manoa comes back a different pitcher in a different way where he's dealing with those issues and dealing with the confidence thing. And now maybe we're seeing it with Nate Pearson going back down uh, to the minor leagues, maybe just albeit for a quick stay. Uh, but that mental aspect of things, uh, it, it's something we've seen on full display here with the Blue Jays. And it's it, it, like the resources are there, I'm sure. But it's something that you have to figure out by yourself, don't you? Don't you? And, and even maybe away from the game a little bit. Like we've seen Brios, as I mentioned, come back differently. That couldn't happen in season, or at least it didn't seem. But he comes back this year and he seems rejuvenated. Is being away from it part of that? It could be. I I, I... I, I don't know. That's that's not my strong and suit. I, I, I well don't too, know, yeah. but yeah. It, it's definitely something that you know people have to get over and have to understand. And it, it's very difficult to do. You know, people say, "Well, why can't he just forget about it?" Well, you know, you've got so much pride in yourself and what you think that you can do and what you have done in the past. How did I? How can I not be like I was the year before? And again, the game is made up of adjustments. You have to constantly adjust. Pitchers adjusting you as a hitter. As a hitter, you have to adjust to the pitchers out there mm -hmm. because they make changes. So, again, it's it's making those adjustments and continue to have confidence in yourself and continue to work at your skills. 
Okay, so before we let you go, uh, big day today at the on the golf course. There was a game where you hit three home runs uh, against Baltimore. Uh, so, what's your what's your strong suit on the golf course? Is it hitting from what, the tee? What's your three home run <laughs> game on the golf what, course? What's a successful day for you today? Not a three home run, but you know, are you going to get the, a couple birdies, a couple eagles? What's the what's the scouting report? Well, my initial goal is to have some to get bir- a lot of birdies. Oh, wow, a few okay. eagles. You know, Damn, and then we'll see go. what happens. But wow. I, I don't know who my teammates are, <laughs> yeah, so they, hopefully they're good <laughs> golfers. Uh, well, but nonetheless, you'll have a great time. Uh, we really appreciate you jumping on today. So fun to catch up. Uh, a lot of people that were listening text in and say that, the, that you're one of their favorite players of all time oh, and, and a beauty to listen to. So we appreciate you coming on. And best of luck today. Thank you. Hit them long and them straight. <laughs> awesome. Keep the sun shining. We're working on it. Uh, that's Ernie Witt, uh, former MLB catcher, ma- manager of the Canadian National Baseball team and the Canadian Baseball Hall of Famer player. 12 seasons with the Blue Jays from at 90, uh, 1977 to 89. Uh, we are live at the Blue Jays, uh, the Jays Care Golf Classic here today uh, for another hour at Rattlesnake Point Golf Club with the 28th annual Jays Care Golf Classic. We're going to have more. Um, we have some more. We are seeing now when we look inside into the uh, the the clubhouse or here uh who we have we got ricky romero coming on next with us i believe so awesome so we'll talk to ricky and then we'll wrap up our show uh with our buddy um gord stellick we'll talk a little bit about the maple leafs and samsonov who they have agreed upon a one-year deal uh and the idea that maybe eric carlson could be a potential maple leaf we'll chat all that to wrap up the show uh final hour ricky romero after the break on the fan morning show sportsnet 590 the fan